The following talk was given at the Insight Meditation Center in Redwood City, California. Please visit our website at audiodharma.org. So this is another opportunity for questions, comments, observations. Yeah. There's a mic. Oh, there's one. So um, you mentioned that our notion of what is pleasant, unpleasant, and neutral are uh, mental processes. So I was wondering, do you have any suggestion on how can we explore this area? Whether, you know, via a di direct observation of the experience or, um, I don't know, how, how would you go about this? Um, partly it's beginning to just get familiar with the quality of pleasant, unpleasant, neutral itself. It's, again, it's kind of one of those experiences that's so pervasive and we're responding and reacting to it all the time without really being clear that's what we are responding and reacting to. You know, we just think we're responding to the things themselves, you know, like... I don't particularly like the smell of the, the roofing tar, you know, if, if, there's, if there's, or they're tarring a road, that smell is uh, hard for me. Um, and, you know, I, I might think that it's hot roofing tar that I'm responding to, but it's, there's an unpleasant quality of that in my experience. And that unpleasantness is really, just, it's really one of the springboards off of which reactivity happens. And so exploring the feeling tone of experience Getting familiar with it in the first place is a really helpful, um, it's a helpful exploration um, to begin to understand how it is conditioned, essentially. One um, example of this, um, just really, it was a really clear example for me of seeing how the pleasant, unpleasant or it was mostly pleasant. The exploration was about pleasant experience. But, but how the pleasant quality wasn't inherent in the thing itself, but was a relationship to my relationship to it and other experiences that I'd had. And so as an example of something that might unfold, you know, I was sitting there having a meal. It wasn't really a meal. It was apples and bean dip. That was what was offered for the evening meal. <laughs> This was at a, at a retreat, a three-month retreat. And um, it was fall in IMS in Massachusetts, and the apples were right off the tree. And uh, I sat down with my apple cut up into pieces and my little pile of bean dip, and I took a bite of the apple and just experienced this explosion of pleasant. It was a very, very delightful apple. Pleasant experience arising. And then I noticed that actually, if I took a couple of bites of apple, the pleasure wasn't as strong, maybe the second bite, the third bite. But then when I had a bite of bean dip, the bean dip was pretty good too. But um, after the bean dip, when I had another bite of apple, oh, it was, <laughs> it was so pleasant. <laughs> 
And I was just experiencing all these delightful bubbles of like rising happiness from the pleasantness in the experience. And again, playing with this. So I noticed, I noticed that the, the apple itself did have some pleasantness to it. The, the experience there was pleasantness. It was more intense after the bean dip. And so I saw the conditioned nature of that. And then I also saw as I continued to eat the meal that the mind kind of got attuned to this. And I was still very attentive, but the pleasure was not as strong as I went along. So, um, you know, this is just an example of beginning to see, actually, that the, uh, the pleasant, unpleasant quality isn't inherent somehow in the object, but that it's related to, in this case, it was related to conditions, what I had eaten before it, how many bites of apple I'd already had, things like that. So this kind of exploration, I was attuned to the feeling tone of experience. And so that's how I noticed it. And so it, it does sometimes take a little bit of familiarity with feeling tone itself to begin to, um, to recognize it. And so, you know, just talking about the feeling tone, it's actually not that hard to see when we begin to, you know, you, you could play with this, in terms of this style of practice, a way to do this kind of investigation might be to just drop in the question for yourself, how do I know feeling tone? Or can I know the feeling tone of experience? And that, not try to particularly find it or do it, but just to drop that question in. And the question may begin to orient the mind to begin to explore that terrain. So this is a very gentle approach to investigation. It's not digging. It's not trying to figure things out. But it orients the mind through a question. And it's very much that style of like dropping in the question and then just seeing what happens. Not, not trying to figure it out or find it or do it. So you just drop in the question and then just keep going. Am I aware? What am I aware of? What's obvious? What's obvious? What's obvious may begin to be informed by the question. And so you don't have to like do the, the like... You don't have to like go have with every experience. Oh, there's an experience. Is it pleasant, unpleasant? Oh, there's an experience. Is it pleasant, unpleasant? That's a little too much activity and too much doing, which I've done and actually has been useful at times. But if you want to stay within this form of just the receptive awareness, it, it can be revealed just by kind of, first of all, talking about it. You know, just the fact that we've started to talk about perception and feeling you might begin to recognize that in your experience. So th- that's the first piece is around just getting familiar with it. And then you'll start to see the relationships that it has. So here and then here. I think it's, it's not on yet. So um, you use the word activity right now. So I'm seeing two things that this practice is doing for me. One is it's opening up some layers of my consciousness, which like, I'm becoming more aware of. But at the same time, I'm seeing more action, uh, noise, activity happening. And this form of awareness is different from the awareness that I felt 
through the other focused meditation practice because that awareness is clearly a lot of awareness but it's very very still yes and quiet and there's a sense of ease here i'm not feeling that ease i'm like actually even more words are coming up like speaker white window like yeah you know so so you've pointed to a, a, the two of the key things that are different about this practice and the um you know the opening to like the changing flow of experience one of um a, a very um, uh, daily life practice-oriented Burmese teacher who lives up north of um, San Francisco. Her name is Dr. Tintin, and she has she does a a PowerPoint presentation about mindfulness, and she had a couple slides, and one of the slides was, "This is our normal meditation." Imagine this is a seated meditation, right? This is a bad drawing, but it's a picture of a... And then there's like a, a bubble around it. That that's, that's what we cultivate in our concentration practice. We, we cultivate this stillness and steadiness. And then when things come in and impinge us, they're bouncing off that bubble. So there's a little bit of a of a... There's a little bit of a buffer, in a way. And that stillness, that the stillness that we're experiencing is kind of in that circle, inside that circle. What happens in this style of practice is that we have ourselves... And we have all of the, all of the stimuli just coming directly at us. And so it does feel more, um, uh, sometimes it can feel like we don't feel the ease or peace that we feel in the, the concentration practice. And yet, we do get there. It's a slower, uh, it's a slower settle into a place of ease. Although the, there's still, it's, it's still that there's a lot happening. It's just that the mind is at ease and feels very calm and very peaceful within the midst of all of the chaotic stuff happening. It's the continuity of the awareness that knows the changing experience that creates that sense of ease. But because you know, initially, and I definitely experienced this too when I switched or began playing with this form of practice from the other practice. It just felt like so much chaos and the mind was like reeling from the stimulation. Um, When we've had that seclusion, if we are associating mindfulness with that stillness, then we may not feel that the mind is very present or it may feel like there's agitation happening. And so again, it's keeping coming back. Am I aware? Am I, is there awareness here? And it's a little bit of a leap of faith to trust that that continuity of awareness does yield a stability over time. Um, when I went to the, um, the first time I practiced with Saito Tejaniya, 
um, I was in Burma at the monastery and it was 10 days, almost two weeks into the retreat and I was in this kind of place of like, whoa, <laughs> is there no break here? <laughs> and um, I, finally I began to recognize, well, of course this is the way this practice unfolds because it's not, I'm not secluding myself by creating this little container of being with the breath and creating this bubble. So as I began to recognize, what actually what happens in this kind of practice is that we more directly come into contact with all the messiness and chaos of our minds and we experience some of the dukkha of it. And at at one point in that, after that 10 days when I realized, I I was suffering a lot in those first 10 days of the retreat. And at some point, the mind recognized, dukkha. Oh, this is dukkha. This This is what the Buddha asked us to look at. Oh, right. Understand dukkha. That's the first noble truth. Here I am in the middle of this with the tools to understand it. And that kind of shifted my whole perspective on the, uh, the process and allowed me to be more in the space of, oh, okay, actually I can be with this dukkha. I can have some balance of mind at some times around this dukkha and just watch it and get to know what's happening, how the pieces interact, how the mind feeds into the body, how the body then triggers a thought, how the thought then creates an emotion. Just watching that whole thing at play. Um, the mind begins to understand where it's participating in the creation of its own suffering. And it starts to rewire itself. So the suffering I'm noticing in myself is that I feel that if I'm not really recognizing the object or the emotion or the sensation or thought... I'm not practicing properly. Yes, and so that's, a, that's a view. There's a n- yeah. need to... But, but you're saying that it's possible to like be very tranquil around the observation. It is. And part of it, I think part of this, the moving into this practice is that it begins to shake up and actually point out to us some of the some of the beliefs that we have about meditation, some of the perspectives we hold on what meditation is, and this is, this is one of them, that you know, if I don't clearly know what the object is, I'm not meditating. Another one is if I'm not in charge of picking the object, <laughs> I'm not meditating. Um, if I'm not really still, it's not meditation. These kinds of things, you know. So their 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 views, their ideas about what meditation is, and those views limit us in terms of the kind of learning that can happen. And so, um, I will say that um, it's not necessary to clearly know the object. So I think we we talked about that a little bit before, you know that. You don't have to know exactly every moment-to-moment thing that's happening. The, the kind of open awareness, I think, many people have practiced either through the Goenka style or through the starting with concentration. A lot of people have practiced open awareness after they've been concentrated for a while. 
And so you, you get your mind really concentrated and then open up. And already the mind can see a lot with a lot of clarity. In this form, it's more like we're settling the mind through the messiness. We're settling the mind through all of that as opposed to settle the mind and then open to it. And, and, and so the, the kind of the trajectory of what we see and how clear it is is very different. We're, we're starting with open awareness and in the beginning there's a lot more fuzziness. It's a lot more vague at times. And so just keeping coming back, am I aware? Ah, yes, I am aware. What does this awareness know? What's obvious here? There's a, a, the leap of faith here is that as the mindfulness gets more continuous, the same kind of clarity does develop. But because you're not, you know, we're not starting with focus, 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 it makes sense, you know, it makes sense that the, the settling happens in a different way. So it's, it's kind of trusting the process of this practice's settling, which is a slower settle in my experience. I go on a, um, you know, a long retreat uh, doing concentration practice. The mind can settle down with the, the breath in you know, some number of days, four days. Or With this practice, it's, it's a slower settle. But there's a lot of learning that's happening in that settling. And so... Uh, I think another difference is that we begin to appreciate the learning. We appreciate the learning over the stillness. You know, that, that, that uh, we begin to get interested in seeing how our minds do what they do. And we can start seeing that right away, as you noticed. You know, you described that seeing all of those thoughts while you're driving you know, in the, or in the grocery store, seeing. So there's, there's a lot that's revealed in daily life through this kind of practice. And we're not going to see that necessarily on retreat because, you know, our daily lives are this whole terrain of experience where we have responses and reactions to that some of that's just not present on retreat. So this, uh, this form of practice just kind of really opens up to a, a whole new terrain of experience. And again, there's a little bit of trust that the settling in this practice, you know, first there's the settling through things, and so there's learning. I sometimes call this, this tile of practice, your mind 101. <laughs> you get to see what your mind does in spades without the you know, the buffer of concentration. You're just in there with it. And developing along with that observation the stability to be able to know it in real time. So it's, uh, you know, it's, it's, it takes a leap of faith that that does happen over time. And it is a little bit of a slower settle in, into that. Yes, absolutely, absolutely. But it feels different, as you point out. It feels different because it's not. Oh, the the, the question was: the objective is is to still move to a place of equanimity um, with this style of practice. 
the, the equanimity is able to be balanced in the midst of whatever is happening, chaotic or still. And I've seen in my own practice, sometimes it gets very, very still in this form, depending on the conditions. I did a two-month retreat at the Forest Refuge in IMS doing this practice, and there's not a lot going on at IMS, the Forest Refuge. It's pretty quiet there. And the mind just got really quiet. It went into, you know, very still states of concentration doing this style of practice. Not trying to get concentrated, not staying with the breath, but just noticing. Am I aware? What am I aware of? Essentially, the, 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 the movement to stillness came through. What disturbance is here? Ah, that disturbance releases. Things get a little quieter. Quieter in that place. Oh, some other disturbance, a subtler level of a disturbance becomes apparent. Ooh, that one begins to release. It gets even quieter. But not by doing it, it, you know, just really, you know, allowing the mind to just be with what's happening. So sometimes this practice can lead to a lot of stillness. Other times, in daily life in particular, <laughs> you know, it's, it's, uh, it's a lot of, seeing just what's going on in the mind. And yet, with the, the stability of the mindfulness, the equanimity comes. And so we watch what's happening, but we're not reacting to it. And then we get to understand how to perhaps more skillfully choose. We see, oh, these conditions, these lead to this kind of state. Maybe I should work with some different conditions. So the learning piece kind of feeds back to choices that we make. And the, just the stability of the mindfulness creates the conditions for the equanimity. Because stability of mindfulness is a form of concentration. But as you point out, there's a different feeling to it. But it does get easeful, definitely. And the more that we begin to be aware of the awareness itself, part of the, the, what you're seeing, too, is that you're in the midst of all the changing objects. There's a lot of stuff happening and changing. And as we begin to get more familiar with, ah, oh, I'm aware. Ah, oh, awareness is here, and there's all this stuff happening. Awareness can get very still. But that awareness knows a lot of dynamic, changing experience. But if we're kind of settled back in the awareness, that's almost like a little buffer between the mind and all of that experience. Because the mind is, is it, it's, it's, it's knowing all of the stuff that's happening, but it's resting in the awareness of that. And so that's, that's another step in this exploration as we get more, and, and what I've been pointing to, you know, just beginning to learn, what is the experience of awareness? And as that gets more stable, the equanimity is much more available in daily life. So it is, it's kind of a, you know, turning your mind around <laughs> here. Yeah. Um, part of my question was actually similar because yesterday I had a blissful day, really amazing day. And if I was going to summarize my day today, I would say that it was very... Um, 
was rather painful and exhausting. I feel like completely exhausted and for the same reasons that he was describing. Uh, just so many things came up that I hadn't thought about in decades. And it's just been, wow, why is all this coming now? Um, I have enough. <laughs> but it just, as if it was open, it just kept coming and coming. Um, but the question that I, I wanted to ask um, tonight was kind of, I had an experience um, this afternoon. I, I ate a plum and it was not a good tasting plum. Um, I had a plum yesterday, it was delicious, and maybe I anticipated it was going to be as good, but it was just a not, you know, that happens with organic fruits. So the plum wasn't good, and then I went for the walk. And I just had the, you know, this bad tasting plum in my stomach and, and thoughts of, oh, it's going to ruin my walk. And, and I mean, the whole walk, I couldn't appreciate any of the beauty I was sharing yesterday. It was just tainted. It's as if, you know, a filter came and, you know, because I ate a bad plum, all of those things are happening and I just couldn't shake it off. And I was just trying to think, you know, what am I aware of? Oh, my stomach hurts. Oh, that fruit was so bad. It just, I kept asking the question and that's what came all the time. And so, you know, this can happen all the time in life. Like, you know, you have a bad phone call, you read a bad email, and then it's like tainted, tainting things, you know? So how, how can this practice or what can I do in the practice to actually help as opposed to I have the feeling that, you know, for me, like asking what am I aware of was just making it worse. In this case, it sounds like you need to check your attitude. What's your relationship to this? I don't like it. I want it to be different. I want it to be like yesterday. This isn't what I expected. All of those ideas in the mind are basically that filter that you're talking about. It's not as if there's a filter. There is a filter. <laughs> that, that, the, that those thoughts, those beliefs are influencing how we're perceiving experience. And so... But it happened when I started to eat the plum. I was fine this morning. Yes, and you see how conditions influence us. <laughs> You know, and again, you know, what you said, too, it's like, oh, I'm not going to be able to enjoy the walk. That already planted an idea in your mind. You know, so, so it's, it wasn't just the plum. It was the ideas you had about the plum. And that's what wasn't quite as seen. You know, you kept coming back to the stomach or the taste in the mouth, but not noticing that there were all these ideas happening at the same time. So, but then if you have an unpleasant experience and, and, you know, you ask yourself, what am I aware of? And, you know, let's say I just had a bad phone call. Um, I'm not sure I follow what you're suggesting to do. Like, I, I would be, um, I'm just kind of going out of the plum because, you know, just to kind of try to see if I ask a different question, <laughs> will I get a different answer? <laughs> So let's say I had a bad phone call and um, I'm sitting to eat my meal and I'm upset at that phone call and I can't relax or something, right? And so I would be asking myself, what am I aware of? Oh, I'm so pissed off right now. 
what am I aware of? Oh, I'm so pissed off right now. Yes, and so there's that, that feeling of the anger. And then, you know, part of, it, part of it is checking in. Okay, so, yes, there's the anger. What's happening? What's obvious about the anger? And then what's your relationship to that anger? Wanting it to go away? Mm. Wishing it weren't here? Um, believing oh. the other person is at fault for making you angry? Those kinds of ideas in the back of the mind keep the pissed off, locked in place. And so that's what I mean by checking the attitude. It's like, what else is going on? What's my relationship to this pissed off? Yeah, so I mean, now I can go back to the plum (laughs) and say, well, I, you know, I just wish I didn't eat that plum. So it was aversion. Yes, it was aversion. And so it was just being reinforced by my keeping asking as opposed to going to a level of... yes. Oh, that's yes. aversion. Yes, exactly. Oh. Yeah, see, if there's something that we're averse to, and we're putting our attention on that, but not noticing the aversion, it will strengthen the aversion. That's the whole thing about these filters. And so if there's any struggle, oh, what's my relationship to what's happening here? I don't like it. I want it to go away. Okay. And, but what, one thing you did notice was that with that aversion how radically it changed your experience. You know, it's like, that's the way those filters work. So even unwittingly, you learned something there about that. Those, you described it as a filter, you know, it's a, that, that it shifted, it changed your relationship to experience to have that filter operating. And so what we begin to see is, what is it like when aversion, the filter of aversion is operating, and what's it like when it's not there? And so we, we you know, and we can begin to expose It's like, oh, what's happening here? So, so there's the feeling, you know, what's happening here is the feeling of the plum, you know, the, the, the stomach, the unpleasantness. And then, and what's my relationship? Aversion. Okay, aversion's happening right now. How is it to know that? And then, then you can more clearly begin to see how it works. But you also might get a little bit of a relief. It's like, oh, right, that's what's happening. I don't want this to be happening yeah, right totally. now. totally. I mean, if I had thought that, I would have gotten relief. Like when I have pain, <laughs> I tell myself, oh, well, I don't want the pain. And so then I can handle it. Yes, right? exactly. Um, when we come into alignment with what our minds are actually doing and recognize it, often there's a, a, a kind of a release. So is there a word that maybe you use this and I, and I forgot? So you have the, the feeling tone tells you if it's pleasant and pleasant and neutral, right? And then the other one, how do you call this relationship with? Or, attitude. Or did you use oh, it, or attitude? Attitude, yeah. It's, it's, it's usually got the flavor of either greed, aversion, or delusion. And there's many flavors of that, you know. Greed, greed, I'm not as good with greed because I'm more of an aversive type, but, you know, wanting, desire, needing, pulling, wishing, hoping, those kinds of flavors of experience. Uh, aversion, uh, the range from irritation, annoyance, frustration, um, to anger, rage, hatred, all of those flavors. Um, Delusion can have the flavor of confusion, um, um, disconnected from experience, kind of spacey, 
not really in touch with experience. And then delusion can also have this flavor of a filter that's not really known. So, you know, the, the, uh, when we're caught by aversion or when we're caught by greed, the, the, the aversion is giving us the story that in order to be happy, this has to be different. In order to be happy, this has to go away. And so we're caught by the delusion of that belief that in order to be happy, I, I had to have not eaten this plum. That was the only, that's the only way to happiness, somehow. You know, aversion will not tell you that in order to be happy, aversion has to disappear. <laughs> so that's the delusion of aversion. And so when we're caught in that filter, there's like, it's like it, the filter is a form of delusion, that it believes the story of the aversion. Yeah. I guess I was asking, what's the word to kind of like call this whole... Attitude, I think. Is attitude. attitude. So for like every experience, you would be, oh, um, so you're asking what you're aware of, but if something doesn't come about attitude, you would ask, what's my attitude? Um, so, yeah, so you, you can check in. You could ask, what's my relationship to experience? What's my attitude about what's happening? You could also just try, is there something else happening here I'm not seeing? Something else happening? And sometimes we can't find it. Sometimes we're so caught in it that we're, we know there's suffering happening, but we can't see it. And so at that point, we, all we can pretty much do is just know, yep, suffering. Suffering's happening right now. But sometimes those questions will let us actually see, oh, aversion's happening right now. So attitude, relationship. Sometimes I have this sense, not even of asking the question, but just like, it's like I'm like this. My attention is like this, mm-hmm. looking at something. And then I, I just think, step back. What else is happening? Can I take a bigger picture on this? Something, and, and this gesture, like, is there something behind my mind that's <laughs> creating, this? <laughs> creating this? Yeah. Thank you. Maybe one more. We're almost at five, so. I just have a quick question. For those of us with a daily practice at home that's usually based in focused attention, how do you suggest that we integrate this practice into our daily routine? Um, So that's not such a quick question. Yesterday afternoon, I gave a couple of suggestions, and I'll just repeat those here. One, um, notice the moment when mindfulness returns. Notice that. And then noticing the 50-50, 50 um, 50% of the attention on what we're doing and 50% of the attention on how it impacts us. So if you can remember those. Be patient with yourself. Be, so here's, here's something I didn't say yesterday. Two factors of mind really helpful for daily life practice. Patience and resolve. Patience because this is hard. It is not going to go the way you want it to. You're going to forget more than you remember. And there has to be a lot of patience for that forgetting. In the moments when you do remember, that moment that you've remembered, oh, I haven't been mindful all day. That's like the moment when you remember in sitting meditation. Mindfulness is back in that moment. In that moment, 
take in what's obvious. Awareness is here, what's obvious? And then use that other factor of resolve. Commit yourself to keep trying. Just in a gentle way, yep, I'm just going to keep going. I didn't remember for the last day, but here it is now, and I'm just going to keep trying. Those two of patience and resolve paired, you know, just like, oh, here's that, here's mindfulness, and I'm just going to keep trying. It creates the, a momentum for, you know, you know, the first time I played with this, I remembered like once a day or something, you know. This was actually, daily life practice was my very first meditation practice. I did not sit before I practiced meditation in daily life. And I committed myself to waking up in daily life. I had that resolve going, but I wouldn't remember it until bedtime. And then I'd remember, and I, at that point, just said, well, I'm just going to keep trying. I had a sense of the value and also a sense that I, was hit, I had hit bottom. I needed something. And so there was a, a strong degree of interest and commitment, and that helped me to make that resolve without being hard on myself. I'm just going to keep trying. The next couple of days, I had maybe two or three moments when I remembered. And then the next few days, I had more moments. And then over the space of three months, it gained a lot of momentum to the point where I could see quite detailed experiences just in daily life while I'm preparing a meal or cutting an apple, just seeing things very clearly, how a thought leads to an intention to an emotion. Um, So patience, resolve, 50-50, and um, noticing the moment of remembering. And then I recently did a... Not a, a residential retreat, a two-week residential retreat uh, in this style, which was recorded. It's on Audio Dharma. Um, that the last talk, I think, is titled Practice in Daily Life. You could listen to that. I give a few more hints. And also you could, if you're interested, just go through. You know, they're, they're, some of them are shorter, some of them are longer. Some of them are like 15 minutes of little instructions in the morning. Some of them are like guided meditations. But maybe one a day, you know, just giving yourself the flavor of this kind of practice as an infusion to, to point your mind in this direction for daily life. So you're recommending a daily life practice, not necessarily changing my sitting practice. Ah, definitely. You don't have to change your sitting practice. You could. Okay. You could play with that, but you don't have to. Right. Yeah. And we need to stop. So thank you all, and I'll see a good number of you tomorrow, (laughs) morning or evening.